Well, good morning. So we are in this new series called A Generous Life, and we had a great kickoff to it last week, so if you missed that, go back, check it out. Um, it was really a good service. Uh, let me kind of give you a recap of last week. Um, what we talked about was generosity flows from having a purpose. Now, we talked about Paul's purpose in life, and my life is worth nothing unless I use it for the cause of Christ. And that purpose really was the filter by which he made his decisions in life. And when we have a solid purpose in life, it really does allow us then to be generous in how we live. And this whole series about generosity, this is not just about giving money to church. No, that's, that's, that's just a tip of the iceberg. What we're talking about is a generous lifestyle. How we spend our time, how we send our resources, just how we spend our life for the sake of the gospel. And so what we talked about was living generously means that we're always looking for opportunities to bless others. Now I asked the question last week, uh, are we more or less generous as a society than in the past? And I think we all agreed uh, that for numerous reasons that we are less generous. So today, let me ask you a question uh, to, to start off again. And my question for you to think about is, why do people give? Why do people give? Or, or maybe the better question is, why do people not give, right? Because that really makes us think about our motives. And that's really what we want to talk about this week. Um, we want to go a little deeper about why, about the why behind the what we do. And let me just ask you, have you ever had a relationship that you thought someone really wanted to be your friend, right? You thought, hey, they invited me over for supper. This is great. We get to meet somebody. And you go to their house, and the next thing you know, they're trying to sell you something. Has that happened to you? Um, with multi-level marketing and all the different things, you're like, and you get there and you're like, man, I thought this was going to be just a kind of a get together between friends. And it turns out they had an ulterior motive. If that's happened to you or if you've heard about people that's happened to, I think you would agree with me that what you thought was someone being generous turned out to be not so generous because they really weren't doing it. They weren't giving you a meal for the sake of friendship. They weren't doing that to, to really build a relationship. They wanted something from you in return. And when it comes to generosity, that's a principle that we are going to see, that often people do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. Uh, so let me ask you then, does the end justify the means? Have you heard that phrase before? And actually, you can trace that phrase back to Machiavelli. Uh, and it, what he was talking about he said, if a goal is morally important enough, then any method of gaining it is acceptable. So in other words, it really doesn't matter how you get to the, the, the goal you're trying to get to, uh, as long as you get to it. And when it comes to generosity, many people have that mentality. It doesn't really matter why I give, it just matters that I do it. It doesn't really matter what the motive is in my heart. It doesn't matter if I get the tax return or the tax break, or it doesn't matter if, if I get the... the you know, the accolades on social media. It's just, I'm doing something good. So that's all that matters. I think Jesus had a different philosophy. 
And I think what we need to do is look to Scripture to really get at the heart of why we give. And so we're going to, this morning what we're going to do, we're going to talk about two times in the Gospels where Jesus confronts our ideas of generosity. And he talks about it's not just what we do, it's why we do it. And that's what is really important. And that kind of leads me to my first point this morning. And simply this, motives matter. Motives matter when it comes to generosity. The, the why is important. Um, why you give is just as important as what you give. In the Sermon on the Mount, if you got your Bibles, you can flip there. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to land here in a minute. Um, it's interesting how Jesus flips our understanding of what is required of us. And so throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he confronts our religious ideas. And, and really what he does is like it's, it's not about following the rules. There's a, you, you've got to get to the heart of the matter. So he talks about the law, that he came uh, not, uh, not, abol- not to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. He talks about things like hatred and murder, that they're the same thing because it's the heart. He talks about lust and adultery. Again, like, hey, if you've got lust in your heart, it's the same as adultery, right? He talks about divorce. He talks about telling the truth. He talks about handling conflict. He talks about loving your enemies. All these countercultural ideas. And then he kind of flips and talks about generosity. And he challenges us. And, and what you see throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't lower the requirement of the law. He really takes it to the next level because he goes to the why. He goes to the heart. And so, in, in, in essence, everything he talks about, he's, lo- he, he's raising the bar for us. He's saying, this is not easy. This is tough. And so, when he gets to generosity, Matthew 6, let's see what he says. He says, um, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, that they have received all the reward that they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, I would say that this is a pretty controversial passage. And you may not think so, but if you look at how people live their lives, I would say this is pretty controversial. Um, And here's how most people will will counter this idea. But don't people need to know what we do as as a church, as, as an individual? People need to see how we're serving others. People need to see how we're being generous, right? Uh, I want to encourage other people to do the same things that I'm doing. So I've got to talk about it. I've got to share about it, right? And with social media now, right, we we, we can justify this. We can rationalize it. We're like, but it it doesn't, isn't this encouraging to see how we're helping others? Look at us. and, And the danger is, right, this is what complicates it. We, it is interesting with social media. We can see the needs that are out there. We can see the difference that's being made. But I think the Bible is very clear about this. I think it's very clear that we've got to be careful about making a big deal about what we do because it's not about us. It's not about us. We don't have to announce what we're doing to the world. 
And I know that's a, again, this is, this is kind of a countercultural idea in our world today because everybody's like, look at me, look at what I'm doing, but we don't have to announce it, right? Spurgeon, who's a great preacher of the past, he says, when it comes to rewards, we've got to look to the eternal. You cannot expect to be paid twice. If you therefore take your reward in the applause of men who give you this high character for generosity, you cannot expect to have any reward from God. We ought to have a single eye to God's accepting what we give and have little or no thought to what man may say concerning our gifts. It's like you can't expect to be rewarded twice. I mean, if we want the applause of man, then we can't expect God to bless what we're doing. And I don't know about you, but if I've got a choice between uh, the honor and respect of people or the blessing of God, I'm going to choose the blessing of God every time. Right? I mean, isn't that what we need to be seeking after? And and the problem is this hypocrisy, um, it creeps in without us even realizing it. Because we want people to think, hey, we're good people. We're a good church. Uh, we want them to like us. We want them to think that we're good Christians. So we, we kind of talk about, hey, do you know what I did this week? Or do you know how I helped? And you know how I served? And uh, we make a big deal about it. But the problem is it changes our motives from truly trying to help others to making ourselves look good. And it happens without us even realizing it. Because we start becoming more worried about what everyone else thinks about us instead of what God thinks about us. We've talked how we are blessed to bless others. And that's true. But again, this is when it comes to generosity, right? Um, we we want to, we we, it, it's, it's one of those things that we don't want to make a big deal about because it's just part of who we are. It's part of how we live. It's our lifestyle. I think that's part of why the reasons from the very beginning here at Cornerstone, um, we don't pass a plate. And I'm not criticizing churches who do, but we just wanted it to be a very private matter between you and God. We didn't want it, everybody looking around who's giving what and who's doing what. We just like, we've got boxes by the door. It's discreet. You give, you support the church. You, you, what it, it's the, and that's it, right? Because we're not about making a big deal uh, and showing off what we're doing uh, and what we're giving. That's just not who we are as a church. And when we give this way, I, the, the, the amazing thing is um, it blesses the giver and it blesses the receiver, Right. It, it blesses both the giver and the receiver when we do it in a way that honors God. Uh, there's a, maybe you've heard the story of this little boy, and hypocrisy will, will, will bite us sometimes. And he said um, they, they, their family heard this big sermon on uh, how you're to, to, to be generous with your life. And so what they did, they invited their neighbors over for dinner. And so the neighbors came over and um, and. and you know, the, the mom was trying to show off and show how that they were very religious people. So she asked the little five-year-old boy, uh, would you say grace? And he's like, oh, I don't know what to say. And she says, well, just say what your father said this morning. And so he said, okay. He said, okay, God, why do these awful people have to come over here tonight? <laughs> That's why our motives matter, Right? Because the truth will come out. 
Um, and I'm just telling you, we can't expect God to bless our giving when we do it for the wrong reasons. And this is what the Pharisees were pros at doing. They were, they, they were going by the book. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They were following the letter of the law, but in the process, they missed the heart behind it. And so Jesus told another story to illustrate this principle, which leads me to my second point which is generosity is not about us. We think it's to benefit us, and yes, there are some things we do get a blessing from it, but that's not why we do it. We don't give so we can receive a blessing. We just give because we trust God. We give because God owns it all anyway. We give because we serve a generous God and we are generous people and we want to share his love with the world around us. It's not so that we get anything in return. Luke chapter 14 is the second story that I want to share this morning. It says, uh, and this is Jesus, when he, he, um, he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So what's interesting to me is these two passages I've shared this morning are both very similar, even though you may not realize it. Both passages are about giving in order that you receive something in return. In Matthew, we were reminded that we don't give so that we will receive praise from others. Here in Luke, it's not about what we get in return. It's not about someone inviting us back. It's not what, about what that other person can do for us, right? And, and so uh, this verse I'm telling you, this, this passage here in Luke, it has profound implications for how we do church and who do we reach out to. Uh, we tend to be generous to those who we think deserve it, those who have been generous to us, those who can do something for us. Um, and I, I and I've just see, right, you even see like when you talk about new churches and startups and all this, they're always talking about go to the suburbs, go to the, the new communities, the growing communities and the places where people have money. But who gets forgotten? Rural churches and urban areas, right? Rural, rural areas and urban areas. Those are the forgotten people. Those are the forgotten people because there's not, you know, there's, that's not where the money is. That's not where the prestige is. And so urban areas and rural areas get forgotten. Uh, I'm reminded of the um, mission work we do in Nicaragua. Um, do we go there because we can get something in return? Absolutely not, right? We don't do mission work for a pat on the back. And, it, and, it, and I've seen people that go for that very reason. I want to be a good person. I feel like it's my obligation to go serve the poor. And so let me go and go on the mission field so I can take a trip and so I can say I did my part to help people who are poor and destitute. That's their, and I'm saying if that's your mentality, you have missed the point of why we serve. You've missed the point. Um, we don't do it for a pat on the back. We don't do it for the experience. And every time I've been... 
I've seen people serve in the name of Jesus, but what I love to see is that when we leave, the people in Nicaragua continue to serve. It's not about us. It's not that we're going there to fix all their problems. It's just we're part of God's kingdom, and that's what people in the kingdom of God do. They serve the king. True generosity with the right motives, I'm telling you, it's contagious. You want to be part of something that will outlive your life. And that's what generosity does. It helps you, helps you leave that legacy. It helps you live that life that, will, uh, that, that really will last, uh, that will leave a legacy. I listened to a sermon from John Piper's church um, in Minnesota, and it was about this passage in Luke, and it was so interesting what the pastor shared. Uh, he said the first thing we notice in this text is how Jesus kind of divides this, uh, these people into two groups of people, right? He talks, first we have our friends and our family and our rich neighbors, right? And our relationships with these people are mutually beneficial. They're reciprocal relationships, right? Where uh, being around people like this, it just comes naturally because those are the kind of people we hang out with. We enjoy it. It's comfortable. And uh, we know that if we need help, we can count on these people, uh, all of us, we, we know people like this. These are the people that we invite to the birthday parties and the ones that you enjoy spending your free time with, the, the ones that you would just call if you want to go and, and hang out with. But then there's a second group of people in this passage. They are the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Basically, these are the people who couldn't repay or return the favor even if they wanted to. They aren't like you. They don't think like you. They don't look like you. They don't have much in common with you. They are broken in life, right? These are the people who we often avoid because we know that any relationship with them is going to be messy. It's going to be far more uh, giving than receiving. Uh, and it's interesting that God often calls us to expand our horizons beyond the first group of people and into the second group of people. But how should we treat that second group of people? How should we treat the, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind? I think most, if, you were to ask, if I were to ask you this morning, how do we treat those type of people, right? The, the, the answer would be we should serve that type of people. We should serve them. But that's not what this passage tells us to do. I'm going to challenge us a little bit this morning. All right, Christians, yes, we should be a people who use our gifts and talents to serve those who, who have less than we do. All right, we, we think that's how we relate to the poor, by serving them. But here, what I'm about to say, serving the poor is an amazing and absolutely necessary thing to do. But here in Luke, Jesus makes it radically clear that serving them is not enough. Did, did you get that? Serving them is not enough. You see, when you serve the poor, there are certain distinctions that remain. Uh, think about a typical soup kitchen in like an urban area that we've seen, right? Uh, you have one group of people that eats uh, before they get there, and then they get there, they put on their gloves, they stand on one side of the table, and, and they pass food out to another group of people on the other side of the table who come in with nothing, right? And, but you're serving them. Now, I don't think I have to 
paint the picture for you, but I think you can kind of connect the dots that there's a distinction there between those who have and those who don't have, right? Those who are on one side of the table and those who are on the other side of the table. Can I tell you that when we kind of designed our Center 242, you know, most churches uh, have a serving area. You have a big roll camp counter. Then you got one. You got people on one side of the wall and people on the other side of the wall. We didn't want that. We wanted that kind of open style where everybody's connected. And so we made some decisions about the design of that building that were very intentional to break down barriers. So when we have a meal, it's not about people on one side of the table or the other. When we do our community meals, we say, hey, if you come, we want you to eat, right? It's not just about coming and, and serving. We want you to sit down with the people who are there because we're all the same. And, and that's what this passage is getting at. The reality is that as long as that we are content to merely serve the poor, we're going to have this wall between us. We, we, we are sacrificing, they are gaining, we feel good about ourselves, and they often feel inferior about themselves or ashamed because they have to receive a handout. What Jesus is teaching us here in, about generosity is when we make a big deal about ourselves, it makes others feel less about themselves. Do you get that? Right? This is why generosity, it, this is why we don't lift up and say, look at what we're doing. Look at how awesome we are. This is why you don't see us post every week at, on the church. Look at what we did and what we, no, I mean, it's not about us. And so in Luke 14, what Jesus is saying, when you would normally have dinner and you're thinking about inviting some friends or family over, don't stop there. Don't stop there. Uh, instead, invite those who can do nothing to, in return. Think about the people that you normally wouldn't hang out with, and that's who you share life with. That's who you reach out to. And, and it's interesting that in verse 12 in this passage, when Jesus is talking about hosting a dinner or a banquet, he just uses the normal word uh, there in the Greek for a meal. He's like, it's just a meal. If you're thinking about hosting a, a meal then, okay, then go out and invite those who can do nothing to repay you. And then in verse 13, he changes the word instead of meal. Now he starts talking about having a feast together. And what's interesting here, what changes a meal into a feast is inviting people who you normally wouldn't invite. Inviting people who can do nothing in return for you. So he's calling us to invite people into the parts of our lives that we typically are kind of reserve or, or wall off or, or say, I, I don't really want to share that. And he's saying, if you really want to be generous, it changes how you live because you open up your life. You open up your life to those who aren't like you. He's calling us to change our motives. Our generosity doesn't flow from pity because it's not about us. And so I would even say, that this passage is about far more than food because it's really about relationships. It's not, it, this, this passage is about treating the poor and the crippled, the lame, the blind, with the same sense of love and honor and respect and appreciation that we have for our friends and our family, our rich neighbors, those who, who we, you know, we feel like we can get something in return from. And, and there's a reason that most people don't live this way. 
There's a reason why when we think of generosity, this is not what we picture. Because this is hard. This is hard. Which is easier, right? Uh, Taking out your calculator, figuring out how much you should give to the church, punching in that number, writing a check, throwing it in the offering plate and saying, I'm done. I've done my part. I'm generous. Is that, which, or inviting someone into your life or going and helping someone and, 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 and really getting to know them and, and get wading into the mess of their life and trying to help walk them through it and, and share the love of Jesus. Which is easier? It is easier to follow the rule and just do what's expected. Here's money. Here's an opportunity to serve. I don't really want to get involved, but I'll write you a check. That's how most people live. It's like I've done my part. And I would just say, right, um, which, (laughs) how do you think the Pharisees lived? How do you think they, what was the choice they made? You see, when they gave, they went by the rule book. And how do we know that? Luke 11, 42 is a passage that Jesus talks about how the Pharisees lived. He says, what sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So they had to, part of the Jewish law, when you had crops, you would have to give your first fruits back to God. That's a part of your your way you, uh, you support the temple and the Levites and the priests. And so what they would do... They would measure out their herb gardens, right? You imagine, right? They would measure out a tenth of that, weigh it out and measure that, and then give that. That's how detailed, that's how OCD they were about what to give. But Jesus says what sorrow awaits you because you have missed the most important thing. You've missed the most important thing. And that's the danger of legalism. Instead of being generous with our time, we fixate on doing what we think is required. We just fixate on going by the rule book. And we just fixate on, hey, I'll give a little money and that absolves me of of, of any responsibility. Then I've done my part. Someone Someone else can handle it. But true generosity is not just giving money. It's giving our lives. And that's what I want to kind of call us to. It, it, it's, it's a different lifestyle when we follow Jesus. And so as, as a church like Cornerstone here, we, we, we'll take on opportunities that other churches won't. We'll do things that sometimes uh, require sacrifice. We, we, we want to we be involved in people's lives. And, and so we're going to give you opportunities to put your faith into practice. But it's not to look down on people who are different from us. It's to get to know them. It's to love them. It's to share Jesus with them. It's to walk with them. And so Jesus has this redemptive purpose in all of our relationships. And he challenges us to bless and benefit and befriend those who cannot repay us. And that is what a generous life looks like. And that brings me to my last point this morning. It's because Jesus cares about the condition of our heart. He cares about the condition of our heart. I think that the passage in Luke, like I said, it's about far more than food. It's about relationships. 
And I think Jesus had a reason for calling us to invite those who can never pay us back. Um, and, and there's a reason that Jesus called this a feast. You, know, you want to know what the reason is? It's because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. You see, we are the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And Jesus has come to invite us to a feast. And, and you may not feel like it, but the Bible makes it very clear that all of us, we are spiritually poor apart from God. We're crippled by our sin. Uh, we're, we're unable, we're, we're lame, we're unable to get to God on our own. Not only that, but we're spiritually blind so that we can't even recognize our need for Jesus without His help. And that's who we all once were. We were born dead in our sin. We had nothing to offer God. We, we, we had nothing that we could give to Him. And yet, He still loves us. He still sent Jesus to become one of us, to reach out to us, to invite us to have a great feast with Him in the future. And, th and that's what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be a feast. It's, <laughs> heaven is not going to be a soup kitchen. Jesus is not going to be standing across the table from us saying, here's your meal, go on. That's not, no, it's not going to be a soup kitchen. That's not what, heaven is a feast, a feast full of people who will never be able to pay Jesus back for what he's done. This is what generosity looks like. When you give without expecting anything in return, when you break down the distinctions between those and who you are serving, you get a little picture a little glimpse of what heaven is going to be like that's why our motives matter that's why it's all about jesus let's go back to to matthew 6 to close because jesus keeps talking about money in this passage in the sermon on the mount in verse 19 he says don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. This is such a, a powerful verse. Right? This, is, this is the why. This is the motive. Right? Uh, the, the, we want the desires of our heart to, be, to bring us closer to God. We don't want the desires of our heart to be about us and what we can get and what we get out of it. We want to, to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And can I just tell you this, right? And, and maybe you've heard this, but I just want to read. Jesus doesn't need your money. He owns it all anyway. He, it's all his to start with. What he wants is your heart. That's what he wants. That's how you're going to find contentment and joy. That is how we're going to transform the world. That's, it, it's all about our heart. And so let me ask you, does he have your heart? Because if he has your heart, the other stuff's going to flow out of it. Does he have your heart this morning? And if you're here today and you're like, Mike, all this stuff about generosity, I, I would like to be generous, but you just don't understand. I, I, and you've got excuse after excuse after excuse then I, I want to challenge you a little bit. Where is your heart? Where are the desires of your heart? Do you really focus on who Jesus is and what he wants in your life? Are you thinking of ways you can be generous with your life? Because that's what he calls us to do. He calls us to live differently. 
I'm going to ask that you bow your heads this morning. Um, and I want to give you an opportunity to, to really, to just to give your heart to Jesus today. If you're online watching today, I'm so thankful you've tuned in. And this is for you as well. This is your opportunity. Just join in with us today. Heavenly Father, I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my heart because, Lord, I I just want to trust you with who I am and, and your plan for my life. Lord, I acknowledge that my heart is sinful, that I don't always do what I want to do, that I've struggled, but Lord, I, I just pray that you will forgive me for my sin. Lord, I put my faith, my trust in Jesus, what he did on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And Lord, I, I just pray that this morning, right now, right here, that you would come into my heart, you would save me, you would transform me, you would start shaping me to be more like Jesus in the way I live my life. And that includes my generosity, that includes my love, that includes my compassion for others who are different from me. So Heavenly Father, right now, right here, would you save me, change me, transform me, and help me to be more like Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen. And I just want to say this morning, if you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, then this morning God, and you just prayed that prayer, and you meant it, right? Then God changes your life, He changes your heart, He changes your outlook, He changes everything. From this moment forward, you are no longer dead, but you are alive. And that's what I love about Jesus, how He still changes lives. Now next Sunday, we've got a baptism. And... um, if you put your faith in Jesus and you've never been baptized, I want to challenge you this sun, next Sunday, August 20th, is the time for you to do that. We'll be at the river. It's a great symbolic way of showing your sins have been washed away. You once were dead. Your heart was dead. But now you've got a heart transplant. Now you've been brought back to life. Now you're alive for Jesus. And it's a way for us as a church to stand behind you and, and cheer you on and say, we're going to be there for you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to support you. So we have already got a number of people that are being baptized. I want to challenge you to, to join in if you've not done that. Um, but let's, um, let's close this morning just thanking God for who he is, for what he's done, and how he's given us that new heart. Would you guys stand?